the lawyer, as he was known when he was a regular caller on the Armstrong and Getty show many, many years ago. We don't get Tim the lawyer, Tim Sandifer, in studio as much as we used to. But since you are in studio today, Tim Sandifer. Yeah, I love what you've done with the place. You are still bearded. I am. You know, it's been eight years that I've been that I've had a beard, wow. and you ask me every time. <laughs> yeah. what, what an idiot! You know, and Jeez. and you're not carrying a trash can size no soda. Yeah, I used to like you used to. I used to, and and time caught up with me. I'm off carbonated beverages. I'm afraid. Really? Yeah. yeah. Couldn't take it anymore. Happens to everybody. Blew a gasket or something. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> on the beard and the soda. Before we get into the substance of our conversation with Tim about his fabulous new tome and other uh, constitutional issues in America, two things. Number one, and I think this will be uh, good for you to hear. Uh, you know those warnings like on a McDonald's pie, the hot apple pie that says cont- cont- caution, content f- mm-hmm. maybe hot, filling maybe hot? And we've always asked, who are those for? Well, they're for me. For the second day in a row, I've gotten a brand new hot cup of coffee, gotten into a brief conversation with somebody, then swigged down an enormous mouthful and burnt my tongue in my mouth and and cried out in, in pain, fury, and humiliation. <laughs> so those warnings are for me. Gotcha. I sympathize, man. I drew blood eating shrimp twice in a row a few weeks ago. It was, uh, oh. how, do you, how do you manage to, <laughs> I cut my hand with shrimp tails at two separate meals on two successive days wow. till there was blood running down my hand. How does somebody do that? I don't know, but yeah, I managed so, to do it. I've, I've never thought of prawns as a weapon. <laughs> yeah, you're a lawyer. Why didn't you sue somebody? Second thing, do you agree with uh, Jack in my interpretation of the Eighth Amendment, uh, its prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment, if something is merely cruel or merely unusual, like being berated by clowns? That would be unusual. It's permitted under the Eighth Amendment. That's correct. Okay. All right. So it's going to be cruel and unusual. That's right. Okay. Right. Uh, So listen, uh, I have intentionally, and it's taken some self-control, not looked up the name Jacob Bronowski. Tim's uh, latest book, and Tim is the author of a number of absolutely fabulous books about constitutional rights and property rights, and and, uh, fairly recently, Frederick Douglass, Self-Made Man, which is just terrific about that great, great American. Um, So when I saw your new book is The Ascent of Jacob Bronowski, I've never heard of this human in my life. I intentionally did not look it up. Sounds like a Coen Brothers character. Yeah, who who is this human, and why did you take your valuable time to write a book? I about him? I was looking for a subject that had absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with law, hmm. and so I'm speaking today, later today at noon. I'm speaking to the Federal Society about my new book, and I the assignment is to find some way to relate it to law, which is going to be very challenging. But no, so you need a subject you considered Moses lack, but you decided this. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, his name is almost as exotic. Jacob Bronowski was a, a scientist and philosopher who lived from 1908 to 1974, and those few people who remember him still today will remember him for his classic 1973 television miniseries, The Ascent of Man, which oh. aired on PBS, and it's this lavish 13-hour documentary on the history of science. And I, I watched it when I was in college, and I got interested in, in Bronowski himself, and it turned out that... He was a fascinating person who knew everybody or was involved with everything interesting that happened in the 20th century. He was the head of the British mission sent to assess the effects of the atomic bombs at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He was best friends with Leo Szilard, who invented the atomic bomb, but also with Samuel Beckett, who was, uh, he, he, the two of them wrote a book together. He was friends with people like T.S. Eliot and, and, uh, Dylan Thomas. He co-founded the Salk Institute in La Jolla with Jonas Salk. 
he was a fascinating guy. He wrote he wrote a radio play that won the equivalent of an Emmy in 1950. He wrote a, an opera. He proved that Australopithecus africanus is a human relative by using a sophisticated mathematical ag- algorithm because that was his that was his specialty was mm-hmm. mathematics. And he revolutionized the understanding of the 18th century poet William Blake. So he was one of these these renaissance men who just was a fascinating figure and i thought nobody's ever written a biography of him so i should wow it's interesting how some people i regularly when i'm reading history and i do it all the time you come across a story or a person you think how come i've never heard this before some things just get lost to history Mm -hmm. amazing people and amazing stories that just for whatever reason don't make the cut right the under discussed and over discussed how much do we know about marilyn monroe one of, <laughs> yeah, one of his exactly. contemporaries seriously yeah, compared or, or, compared to know, somebody mickey mantle for that matter. and bernofsky was a celebrity in his day he was he was a big enough name in great britain for 20 or 30 years that you know taxi drivers would hail him on the street he's even mentioned in a monty python skit the exploding penguin when oh. one character says to another uh, you know why is there a penguin on the telly and the other says who am i blood dr bloody bernofsky because he was <laughs> That well known. <laughs> wow! I, wow! I, I was totally That's wasted on me. Funny. The problem That's was he, he died in August of seventy four, only a, a months before his show aired in the United States. Ah. And so, right when he was on the cusp of becoming a, a, a really famous figure in the United States, where he had lived for a decade by that time, he was gone. And so he vanished from the scene, and everybody forgot about him. And uh, it, I think that's a real shame. So I thought I, I decided I decided to try and bring more interest to what he did and uh, uh, analyze his philosophical writing and his literary work and stuff. The problem was he was involved in so many things and knew so many things that it took that it took a long time for me to learn enough about those things to be able to talk intelligently about it. So I've been working wow. on this book for 20 years wow. since I was a senior in college, and it is finally done and finally published, and it's called The Ascent of B- Jacob Bernofsky, and I hope you'll all buy it. Speaking of getting published, was it difficult to go to somebody and say, I want to write about this person? They said, who? Can't you write about a founding father or something? <laughs> fortunately, a Lincoln book? Fortunately, Lincoln I, found, book? <laughs> I found the publishers who, who did remember who Bernofsky was, and that 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 worked out but yeah it, there was some difficulty in that uh a lot of the people that he knew are gone now i did have the good fortune of interviewing some of them um the the coolest one was i got to have lunch with francis crick who won the nobel oh prize my. in the 1950s for discovering the structure of dna yeah the only nobel prize winner ever to buy me lunch <laughs> uh, and uh, that was that was by far the coolest part of of the research. And did you find the old chap to be uh, stimulating? And, Wonderfully, and, yeah. It was this was this was uh, while the O.J. Simpson trial was going on, and I asked him what he thought about people ignoring <laughs> DNA evidence in trials. Oh, and he wow, said, good one. He said, "Well, I guess you have to know how the American legal system works." And he had so much scorn in his voice when he said the word "legal," yeah. but I didn't mention that I was in law school at the time. Yeah. Um, but huh. he was he was a wonderful uh, wonderful gentleman, and he. He, I remember very distinctly on the way back from the restaurant, him explaining to me the then newly discovered eyeless gene, which is the giant gene that if you knock it out, uh, the, a fruit fly or whatever will be born without eyes. And this is one of the oldest genes in the genome. It's called a Hox gene. It's been around since the, the dawn of evolutionary time. And it's the same gene that we have in our own bodies to control the development of eyes wow. in the embryo. So years later, I was reading a book about genetics, and I ran across this the discussion of the eyeless gene, I thought, wait a minute, that 
Francis Crick himself explained that to me. That that's oh, a really lunch. amazing experience in my life. <laughs> yeah, wow. no, 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 yeah, that, absolutely. But Crick and Bernofsky were good friends. In fact, um, before his death, uh, Crick was using the same office that Bernofsky had used down at the Salk Institute in San Diego. I, this just flitted into my head. I'm like a, an eyed fruit fly in terms of my <laughs> ability to pay attention. This just flitted into my head. What do you when you get up in the morning? What do you what do you check news wise like for what's going on in the world? Like Twitter. what's your first thing? Twitter. That's it. And then like what? How do you structure your feed? How many what people do, do you follow? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I follow quite a lot of people. I don't remember somewhere maybe a thousand something like that. What what tends to be at the the top of the year 13, list? I follow thirteen hundred. Like are they news publications or people? Uh, or? I I yeah people primarily. In fact, just uh, I, just this morning I was thinking of writing a tweet about what who I would uh, recommend for the Nobel or for the Pulitzer Prize if I were in charge of the new, of the Pulitzer Prize. And the three names are are John Ziegler, um, uh, Elizabeth Nolan Brown at Reason. And Robbie Soave at Reason. Oh, I yeah, think I love the, Robbie. The three yeah. of them are just are, are the real journalists that are still working today. And of course, Dan Walters. Since I'm in Sacramento, I need to mention the only remaining journalist in the state of California. Dan um, is legendary. He's amazing. He's, a, he's one of the great clear-eyed writers about I d- I just Cali wish Unicornia. That, I just wish his articles would be three or four times as long as they are. Did you read uh, the, the 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 transcript of what the uh, editor there at the New York Times said last week to his crowd. Yes, I, I mean, did. It's, it's just incredible where we that that might be the most important newspaper in the world, or at least formerly was. And and the direction they're willing to go, it's it's troubling. Com- expecting a newspaper that recently ran articles such as "Women in the Soviet Union had better sex under communism." And uh, the Soviet space program was better for women's equality. Expecting a newspaper, or even calling it a newspaper, when it runs articles like that, I think is excessive. I think the New York Times has clearly gone off the deep end into not just leftist partisanship, which you know is kind of expected in the media, but in the most extreme form of it. And the same is true of CNN. I mean, I love C- I love CNN, but it's like day after day, it's just it's become a partisan. Uh, uh, enterprise. I I, I can't to the stand point this. of absurdity, to, in my it, opinion. Very I mean, so. it's just you can't even take it seriously. And it's as bad for the left as it is for the right. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Over time, of course, it is going to be. And it just it's it's surprising to me that people of that caliber. I assume you have to have uh, you know some pretty good credentials to end up being in the newsroom at the New York Times. I would hope, but I don't know. And, and, and you're he, willing to abandon journalistic principles because you hate Trump so much. And it's so cheap. It's so cheap and 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 easy to do to make everything be about Donald Trump. I mean, I'm I'm I, everybody who follows me on Twitter knows my views on, on the president. But the it's so easy to just make it a series of not even in, often not even accurate uh, slams on the president day after day after day instead of the kind of of sophisticated in depth research and reporting that takes a lot of work and and is a is sometimes very frustrating when you're doing it because you have to fact check everything twice and three times and thing and when you see people who do it well like the people I've mentioned Elizabeth Brown and Robbie Suave and John Ziegler it's it's a, a testament to the continuing uh, art form there's no market for that egghead you know up. that's true <laughs> You that's may true. have lunched with Crick, but that's, I'm telling you to shut that's up. That's true. In fact, well, it does relate. It relates to Bronowski in the sense that I, I, I think there's, I think there are people out there who have a hunger for the the kind of sophisticated, intelligent 
discussion. It doesn't have to be egg-headed craziness, but but something that has uh, some degree of smarts to it. Just and Bernowski not, was really good at that. Not idiotic. Yeah, Why right. don't we start there? Is that too much to ask? Well, you believe in do- self-government. Do you think we've reached a point where we can't govern ourselves? Because uh, pe- there's not a hunger for people who take the time to figure out what's real, whether it fits with what you want it to be or not? Are you talking about California or the nation? The nation. Okay, well, then, you no, know, I don't think we've I don't think we've reached bottom there. California, I I don't know. I I honestly, I I'm really am pessimistic about the possibility of any kind of reform in California. I think California has gone so far in the direction of taking the the easy emotionalistic sound good answer over hard realities and is so unwilling to face reality that I think it's going to be a long hard struggle before California is able to to right itself. But you know, I'm a pessimistic person. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you 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 talk to Tom McClintock and he'll always say, oh, California, there's no reason in the world, the world why California couldn't change tomorrow and become a, you know, a livable, thriving economy. But I don't buy it. <laughs> well, why don't, we, why don't we talk about a couple of the big stories in the news today with uh, Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation the Goldwater Institute. His new book, which sounds fascinating, is The Ascent of Jacob Bronofsky. Uh, more to come. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. Armstrong and Getty Show. You'd think we'd have something other than the law and order theme when we have lawyers on, but it's the best we can do on we the don't. Armstrong and Getty Show. Get over it. <laughs> Tim Sandifer is with us. Tim, the lawyer, vice president for litigation, the Goldwater Institute. His new book is The Ascent of Jacob Bronowski, somebody I uh, had heard of but hadn't realized I'd heard of because I was familiar with The Ascent of Men. It sounds like absolutely a fascinating read about a fascinating guy. Um, but to talk about some of the things that are in the news right now, again, uh, though we are nationwide these days and, and happy to be, uh, Cal Unicornia continues to make news, including the idea of uh, letting children vote, beginning with 17-year-olds. Now, I know my way around a sentence. I know some pretty words, but you're way better than me. What do you think of uh, extending the vote to teenagers? Well, I... A part of me says, let them because the teenagers aren't going to vote. I mean, every year it's the same thing. Every election is the same thing. It's rock the vote and get the, get the young vote out and go register to vote and everything. And, and, and especially the Democrats get very excited about all this. And then, the, then they don't show up to vote because they got other things they're worried about. Um, but as you've said, and I, I think it's totally true, is that the effort to, to round up people who are too young to know how the world works and get them to vote is very indicative of the worldview of those who are who are behind that effort. It's precisely because leftist political philosophy is so emotionally appealing, but is in fact uh, uh, both unworkable and, in the last analysis, immoral. That the, the there is an effort to recruit people who have not had enough experience or education in the world to to understand its shortcomings. Because they'll inevitably vote for that for that goal. So. Right, that which makes them feel good. We got on the topic of uh, being uh, pessimistic, and I, I wonder how you're not pessimistic with a lot of what's going on, but you said your, your own book uh, touches on that. Yeah, well, Bernofsky was living uh, at a time during the, the rise of the hippie movement. He was very worried about the rise of the hippie movement because he thought it was a reactionary, anti-technology, anti-progress ideology that really threatened to undermine the future of the West. Bernowski himself was actually a socialist, but he was one of those old-fashioned technologically, uh, technical progressive kind of socialists, not not like a throwback anti-technology type. And he was very worried about 
uh, about this. And in fact, he talked about it in, in the last episode of The Ascent of Man. If you haven't seen this documentary, you really must. I think it's the best documentary ever Where made. Where can I find it? It's, it's available on DVD. And, you can and it find, holds up. Yeah, oh, very much so. The, the costumes are a little funny because it's 1973, but, yeah, but absolutely. And in the last episode, I mean, almost the entire episode was filmed as a spontaneous one-hour monologue by Bernofsky because he was such a good speaker that he, he could just talk to the camera and, and they would write down what he said and that was the book awesome. version of the documentary because mm. he was so interesting. And he talks about this in the last episode. And he says, he says, I have it here. He says, I feel I am infinitely saddened to find myself suddenly surrounded in the West by a sense of a terrible loss of nerve and a retreat from knowledge into, into what? Into Zen Buddhism, into falsely profound questions about are we not just really animals at bottom, into extrasensory perception and mystery that do not lie along the line of what we are able to know if we devote ourselves to an understanding of man. Bronowski was really worried about this, this, backlash against science and reason that he saw beginning in the late 60s and that have taken over large parts of our society wow that is that is great so you can get a book version of the uh the documentary yeah, which is though. basically a transcript of the, yeah, of the okay. documentary Fabulous. although we want people to read your book yes the ascent of jacob bronovsky available where fine books are traded i assume Tim the Lawyer, Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation of the Goldwater Institute, a fan and co-host favorite for many, many moons, along with his delightful and brilliant bride. Uh, good to talk to you, Tim. I'll be, Thanks, and I'll man. be talking about the book today in Sacramento, California. If you happen to be in town, go to timthelawyer.com to find information about it. Absolutely fantastic. we got Marshall's News next. A couple of different polls have come out today we ought to take a look at, among other things, on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. He Chen on this week, uh, Hanson, do we? Uh, one of our favorite political analysts. I noticed he's made his debut on Brett Baer's special report on Fox the other day. Did very well. Happy to see him on there because he is a great political pundit. He'll soon begin snubbing us, but we're probably. used to that. Probably, yeah, probably. And I wouldn't blame him. Actually, we're like a Triple A baseball team. We uh, we develop prospects, then exactly. we turn them loose and, and shed a tear. Yeah. And they pretend they never played for the Mud Hens. Right. Once we're in their rearview mirror. Right. Uh, right now, news with Marsha Phillips. Well, the Democrats debate day deadline today. And the final polls for qualifying for that third debate are in. The new national poll from Quinnipiac University finds former Vice President Joe Biden holding a solid lead over Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders in the primary race. The polls have not budged no. through two debates. No. It made... No impact whatsoever, which is fairly common among debates, by the way, for all the media builds them up um, for something to talk about or the ratings you get by people watching. They regularly do not affect the the polling. Which polls? All of them. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, On a similar uh, attack, the uh, the question was asked recently, do Elizabeth Warren's big crowds matter? I'll address that question Mm, in a few moments if we have time. The Quinnipiac results were similar to another poll released by USA Today that also had Biden in the lead. Biden winning 32% in the Quinnipiac poll, exactly the same as the USA Today poll. Uh, That was compared to 19% for Warren and 15% for Bernie Sanders. I think enthusiasm really matters. When's the last time we elected somebody that didn't get really enthusiastic crowds? Uh, I, I don't... So far, at least in recent history, the... 
we think you should probably win, so you're the nominee Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, Mitt Romney sort of candidate. Right. We think you're the right person to win, so that's why we're here. That person doesn't win. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't remember there being a great deal of enthusiasm for W, and he, he lost the popular vote to Gore by an eyelash. I don't think either one of them had roaring crowds. Well, that's a good point. That is a good yeah. point. Me- Gore was was the poster boy for meh. Meanwhile, the USA Today Suffolk University poll also found Americans facing the presidential election with a dominant feeling of dread. <laughs> if the candidate they support loses, nearly four in ten said they would have little or no confidence that the election had been conducted in a fair and square way, setting up what could be a debate over the legitimacy of the next president. Those expressing doubts cross the partisan lines, 30% of Republicans, 45% of Democrats, although they identify different threats to the electoral process. So looking ahead to the election with a feeling of dread. Wow, that's a good way to go through life. Meanwhile, President Trump <laughs> is tearing into Fox News. Oh, what? Trump tweeting today just watched at Fox News heavily promoting the Democrats through their DNC communications director spewing out whatever she wanted with zero pushback by anchor Sandra Smith. Terrible considering that Fox couldn't even land a debate. The Dems give them nothing. CNN and MSNBC are all in for open border socialists or beyond. Fox hires Give Hillary the Questions Donna Brazil, Juan Williams, and Low Ratings Shep Smith. Hopeless and clueless, in caps. They should go all the way left, and I will still find a way to win. That's what I do is win. Too bad. Third tweet, I don't want to win for myself. There's more? Yeah, oh, that's, yes. I think that's enough. I, yeah. I, you lost me after the first one, I think. Okay. Basically, he says... I was taking on Fox, and in short. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. He Brett said, Bear did a uh, piece the other day responding to that, because uh, uh, Trump bashed one of their polls, and Brett Bear stood up for the network, uh, separating the news division from the opinion division, etc. Right. Right. What polls? More than a dozen of Jeffrey Epstein's accusers were able to speak uh, before a judge in a Manhattan federal court. They expressed their anger and outrage over his August 10th suicide, but they were grateful for the opportunity to get their testimony on record. Now, Virginia Roberts Gouffre was among those who wants prosecutors to go after any of the co-conspirators in Epstein's trafficking. It's not how Jeffrey died, but it's how he lived. And... We need to get to the bottom of everybody who was involved with that, starting with Gielan Maxwell and going along the lines there. She well, also told... The, the, there's, there's no doubt that anybody who aided him yeah. in, well, child uh, sex slavery um, deserves whatever punishment you can give them. We also have the Gloria Allreds and the David Boys of the world, lawyers who see, here's a guy with a ton of money and we're going to get some of it. Yep. Which is, man, that's grimy. Well, once again, we've got another report out that says any activity will cut down on the risk of early death. A new study published in the British Medical Journal finds even modest levels of activity can cut your mortality risk. Sure, something is so much better than nothing. Yep. These include, they're saying, a stroll, cleaning the kitchen, or even folding and putting away laundry. Yeah, well, I've, I've known people, including people I, uh, you know, close to me, right. who get um, almost zero exercise. Aside from the walk to the car on the way to work and the way home, mm-hmm. you know, ever. 
And, uh, man, there's a huge difference between that and just a little something. A slow bike ride, the right. walk and the dog, whatever. Right. And uh, one last note. Not adjusted for inflation, but Ed Sheeran's Divide World Tour has surpassed U2's 360 Tour as the most profitable tour of all time. And now with the trek finally over, his haul is even greater. Yeah, we talked about this the other day. That is impressive, except it's a tour that's been going on since... 2016 or something like that for a number of years. People are just figuring out how to game these systems yeah, now. Yeah. Like, uh, right. Little Nas X with the Old right. Town Road. One of the reasons he was able to stay on the top of the charts for so long is that a remix of the original song still counts as the original song being on the chart. So that's why he put out so many remixes. Right. He's just algorithming the system. And so uh, Ed Sheeran goes out on yes. tour for Two and a half and years, years. Yeah. including <laughs> months-long breaks, at and some yeah. and several different albums, right. yes. and calls it a tour. Yes. What does that even mean? Well, whatever you want to call it, it brought in seven hundred and seventy-six million dollars. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Come on, Squawky. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, in the midst of his tour, he had enough time to take a month's breaks and record another <laughs> album. I don't, and I don't think that's a tour. No, no, it's not. Um, is that? Did you look over that Lawrence? Oh, Hanson's gone. I was going to see if that's uh, worth uh, with, worth discussing. Stop the hammering. <laughs> <laughs> maybe um, it is. Maybe it isn't. I'll take a look at that. I wish people enjoyed a good Lawrence O'Donnell imitation at parties. I think that'd be the hit. You'd you'd be good at it. Yeah, thanks. You really got to nail it. Well, up. we have a similar, uh, you know, uh, bearing demeanor. <laughs> Lawrence O'Donnell and I. Apparently, he went with a uh, a bombshell story on the whole Trump Russia thing last night. That what wasn't con- no? That was a rerun. That wasn't confirmed by NBC, and then it's really fallen apart. And well, it's an embarrassing thing. Oh, he's an embarrassment. Uh, if there's any details on that, we'll see bring they're coming team. from over there or over there. Stop the hammering. Nike uh, makes. Uh, endorsement deals with big-time athletes. They've done it for the first time with an e-game champion, somebody that uh, plays the video games. Find out where this is going on. It's It's in e-games, sir. (laughs) In America. Uh, So all that stuff on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. There's Ed Sheeran there. Uh, so earlier we were uh, talking with Tim Sandiford, Tim the lawyer, about journalistic standards and, and, and the New York Times and some of that stuff that leaked out last week um, uh, from the editor there. And they just, it's it's a, um, it's a, well, it's a partisan organ. I mean, it's got a job. It, its job every day is not to report the news. Their job every day is to bring down Donald Trump. Sure. Yeah. It's and, a party newspaper. Which they get to be, but that's not what they've been for centuries now. And it's not what they claim to be. And that's, yeah. And more importantly, that's not what they claim yeah. to be. Yeah. So, you know, this, so this shouldn't surprise you that this is, this is where we're, we've gone. But, um, Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC the other night opened with a bombshell. Who's got a hammer? <laughs> Don't hit a bombshell with a hammer. Uh, he opened up his show on Tuesday. In response to a Democratic-controlled House Committee subpoena, Deutsche Bank uh, is in possession board. of tax returns related to Trump and his immediately family. His the immediate stupid family. hammering. That, that's Lawrence O'Donnell there. Yes. 
Wasn't he the chief political correspondent for NBC News back yes. in the day? Yes, he was. He was there supposedly not back when evening news mattered. Yeah. He was the 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 political analyst. And he was it just sucks. He was just so far left. And everybody knew it behind the scenes. He opened the last word on Monday night by claiming that they were President Trump's um, tax returns and that a source close to Deutsche Bank has revealed to me uh, that they have seen documents in which uh, Putin is given favors to Trump, long and short of it. It's, oh! it's, this is the smoking gun. This is the, the, the Russia collusion story. The Putin has been loaning him money, and that's why Trump's doing all the things he's done. and, done the things and blah, 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 than ever. All that sort of stuff. And that, the, and that segment caught fire on Twitter, 30,000 retweets. The segment went out because, well, if it were true, it would be huge. It would change the whole, it would, uh, it would change the narrative of the whole story. I mean, we now have the facts. Sure, Bob Mueller would be saying, what happened? By the closing of the hour, O'Donnell awkwardly returned to the topic and clarified that the network could not confirm his reporting. Now, I want to stress that's a single source, someone that told me from Deutsche Bank, that they've seen the records. This has not been confirmed by NBC News. I've not seen any documentation from Deutsche Bank that supports this and verifies this. This is just a single source who's revealed that to me. And that's where it stands at this point. It's going to need more verification. Well, MSNBC's booking producer tweeted the following morning that not only has O'Donnell never seen uh, uh, the the, the um, documents Deutsche Bank supposedly has, Deutsche Bank is declining to comment on Lawrence O'Donnell's reports, and the information came from a single source who has not seen the bank records. NBC has not seen the records. The source that talked to O'Donnell has not seen the <laughs> records. Has anybody seen them? Well, it's a nothing story. <laughs> it's a nothing story that caught fire for a day in the in the in the Trump hating journalism. World. So you got crazy some... sound coming in my ear. You got some Deutsche Bank employee who who claims he heard some other guy Maybe. saying something. Maybe. Well, he claims that, it. That's yeah. the best. Yeah. That's the best case scenario. But not very many years ago, he would have lost his job over that. You oh, couldn't yeah. have. You couldn't have taken NBC's news brand through that. An explosive claim that would doom the president turns out to be, well, some guy told me, and I can't even tell you who it was. So. Yeah. <laughs> and he hasn't seen the documents. Right. And I don't know if that's, anybody that, has. That, but that's where we are now. Yeah. Wow, that is a great illustration of it. And yes, that w- that would have been the end of his career. He'd have spent a decade, you know, uh, being a mentor for high school newspapers and <laughs> right. working his way up to pet obituaries and classified ads and the rest of it before he was ever allowed in the newsroom again. <laughs> Pet obituaries. Fluffy was a beloved pet and a fine Stop companion. the hammering. I'm going to hammer on you until I retire, you dumbass. That reminds me of an Adam Sandler joke. I saw a really old Adam Sandler stand-up on YouTube the other day. He was like 19 years old or something. Looked like a child. Anyway, he was talking about, yeah, yeah, I had a, uh, had a weird cab ride last night. Uh, cab driver killed a dog. And uh, he didn't hit him with the car. He actually stopped and pulled over and stabbed him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Hey, that's a great example of what we were talking about yesterday. How people laugh when they're shocked by something. I don't think dog stabbing is funny. No, God, no. Then why'd you laugh? But exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Somebody could take us apart online Twitter. These guys laughed uproariously when one of them brought up stabbing a dog to death. They laughed and laughed as if it was the funniest thing they've ever heard. Next time you see some sort of scandal online or whatever, that's what people do to other people. It's just, <laughs> no, it's, it's incredibly so, I'm not laughing, damn it, I'm not laughing! It, like a lot of humans. Damn it, 
don't you laugh? <laughs> right. A lot All of, right, Calypso Louis. So much humor is just based on the surprise. Sure. It's surprise combined with outlandishness. Yeah. I, you know, how, how we can't all agree that, yeah, sometimes you laugh at things that, no, in reality, you find abhorrent. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, listen, we've got a little time left in the segment. Let me take you on a quick spin through the topic of crowd sizes, specifically Liz Warren. And then, by extension, Bernie and Joe Biden and whether that matters. And they go into some depth. What about Bullock? Oh, boy. Over the past week, Warren drew the largest crowds of her campaign. Seattle's audience, um, well, this is an odd way to put it, dwarfed the 12,000 headcount in Minneapolis. More hastily planned event in L.A. still drew 4,000. Um, Warren, who was once counted out of the race, is drawing crowds comparable to Barack Obama's in the summer of 07 or Bernie Sanders back in 2015. Mm. Um, they, they mentioned it's notable that there are two of them now drawing crowds like that because that almost never happens, Bernie and Liz. And, um, then they mentioned Biden, whose crowds have been noticeably smaller than Sanders or Warren's in early voting states. He bristled at the idea that his competitors are bigger draws. And I wish we had this tape. We didn't have time to find it. But uh, Biden told reporters last week in tiny Prol, Iowa, he says, I'm drawing bigger crowds are bigger than anyone. Have you seen anybody draw bigger crowds than me in this state? Fox News reporter Peter Ducey said, yes. You have? Where? Ducey says, in Des Moines. <laughs> and Joe says, ah, come on. And he, he, he walked away. But um, uh, I saw that exchange, and I wondered why it seemed like a, a bad thing to step in for Biden, why, why you would say that, unless he actually hasn't been paying attention. It seemed like he set himself up for embarrassment. And here's uh, Uncle Joe. There's 1,000 people. There's 400. There's 750, while Liz Warren has drawn 15,000 in Bernie's similar numbers. Um, His original defense almost made sense. Where no, I'm just doing different venues. I'm yeah. trying to go small town to small town. Yeah, but. yeah. right, right. Um, then they mentioned that uh, Bernie drew gigantic crowds last time, and Hillary still beat him like a gong in the primaries. Yeah, we know it was kind of fixed. <laughs> yeah, um, but and, <laughs> right. and then but she then uh, lost to Donald J. Trump, the guy from TV. <laughs> so energy from crowds is it a the thing? Yeah, it definitely is. Here's your host, Joe Getty. Yeah. Let's get a final thought from everybody. There he is, our esteemed newsman, Marshall Phillips. Marshall? Polls, polls, polls. I'll tell you, we got polls that will come down on whatever side you want these days. I keep seeing them... Uh, you know, the other thing, too, is I see the way they're reported. One poll will come out and just be very, very factual, right? Give you the rundown of, of who's ahead. Other polls will interpret and twist things in very weird ways. Results that will last for a day or two. Yeah, sure. Go with the Real Clear Politics average polls. That's yeah. a better way if, if you're interested in them at all, and you don't need to be interested in them. Good policy. Uh, producer Positive Sean, final thought. Yeah, caught up on Succession, my uh, current favorite show on TV. I actually don't know if this show is good or not, but I absolutely love it. With great lines like, do you know what they do to rich people in prison? Yeah, they let them out early out of fear of being sued. (laughs) (laughs) There he is in the control room, Michelangelo. Final thought? Yeah, to our listeners in China, if you are shopping at Costco, don't buy bread in bulk unless you have a really large family or it will go moldy. 
Wow, very good at reaching out to our Chinese brothers. Jack, final thought for us. I, as of today, have a fourth grader, which is shocking to me. And my uh, fourth grader was excited about going to school today. I hated school every day of my life. I'm so pleased that he likes it and looks forward to it, at least for now. Mm, mm. I was more like Sam. I liked school more or less. Oh, I hate it. I can remember the sick feeling in the pit of my stomach the first day of school every year. Just, oh, oh my God. My final thought is every day, every ding-dang day, we do an extra segment of the show you can only get via podcast. It's free. It's easy. It includes S-bombs and that sort of thing. Uh, it's called One More Thing. But we're not doing it today. Because we're going to do an extra large podcast with uh, Tim the Lawyer and Craig the Healthcare Gangsta. All about a fabulous book we all read called Heaven on Earth. It's all about socialism. But we can't cuss? Oh yeah, we can cuss. We just won't be doing one more thing. So we're going to cuss about socialism. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Blank and socialism. Blank and socialists. Turn it loose. Come on, the people are waiting for it. Blank Lennon and his blank and blank. No, I want to hear it. Armstrong and Getty. Wrap it up on the grueling grueling four-hour work thing. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. See ya. God bless America. You having a good time? Okay, I I did not say that. I've sat here for over three hours and 15 minutes. (laughs) That sucks. If you wish to leave, you may. Let me just say how very, very dismaying and disappointing. Not uh, good. And just... Change the channel from this mesmerizing horror show. We'll be better tomorrow than we were today. Then we heard the words. It's over for me. Adios, mofo. Okay, so we're, we're, you're, we're dismissed, is that correct? Do you want to rephrase uh, what you're doing? This f***ing stupid hammering. Armstrong and Getty.